0: You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod.
1: Dear Prudence.
0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Dear Prudence. As always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Today's special show was recorded live at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C. on March 12th, 2019. I was joined on stage by the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, Linda Holmes. I just want to note that we had some technical issues and the first couple of minutes the show didn't get recorded. So I'm going to read the first question right now and then we will join me and Linda live at the Hamilton. Subject Re-establishing a relationship with the sister who threatened to tell my job about my kinks? Dear Prudence, Two years ago, my sister found out about some of my kinks from a girl I went on a date with, but my sister always told me she'd never tell anyone. Then in November, my mother and sister got into another serious fight over the phone late at night, and our mother threatened to spread horrible lies about my sister to her husband's job and their church. My sister called me in distress, demanding that I get involved and calm my mother down so she wouldn't threaten any more to hurt her family. My sister told me that if I didn't calm her down, she would disclose everything she knew about my kinks to my job. I worked my entire life to become an attorney and finally became one at the age of 26 and managed to get my dream job. So I felt that everything I'd worked for was about to be destroyed. I got my mother to stop harassing my sister and to swear not to spread lies about her to her husband's job or their church. I told my sister what I had done, but I also told her I never wanted to speak to her or have anything to do with her again after she threatened to destroy my life. She told me that she did it to protect her family, and that someday I would understand if my family was ever put in the same position. I told her that what she did hurt me very deeply, because ever since I was born, she'd said she loved me and would always protect me by making sure no one ever did anything to hurt me. She's tried contacting me a few times since I cut off contact back in early January, saying she was deeply sorry, but I am torn. I love my niece and nephew, but I can't stop thinking about what she did, and if she's threatened to do it once already, what's stopping her from doing it again in the future? I just want things to go back to the way they were, but I feel like I can't trust my sister anymore after what she's done. Okay, let's find out what Linda and I had to say about this at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C. Like, either this is that sort of paranoid feeling of, like, oh, I've downloaded porn and someone's going to send an email to my mom saying your kid just downloaded porn. Like, that kind of bonkers voice a lot of us have that's, like, totally divorced from reality. Right. Or a kink that is, like, varsity-level intense.
1: Right. Or that your, like, your lawyer job would think it was varsity-level intense. Right. Like, anything involving poo. I think your lawyer job, it's reasonable to think your lawyer job might find it awkward. I I, I got to say,
0: if I'm working at a law office and I get a phone call or an email from somebody who is not a lawyer just saying, I, my <laughs> sibling works there and I found out they're super into scat play. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would just be like, what a weird thing to call or email <laughs> me about. Good day to you. I,
1: I did have the same thought. I was like, if I try to imagine the sister following through with this threat, it's... A very odd... Yeah. Because you don't, like, what do you think is going to happen on the other end of that phone call? Yeah,
0: realistically, unless you did something that harmed somebody else, which I think you would have mentioned in the letter. Right. I think this is that sort of, like, panicked, paranoid fear of, like, everyone's going to know something very personal about me and think I'm awful, when I think, in reality, it would mostly just make your sister look like an irrational jerk. I agree. I Um, agree.
1: And I think... But I think, like... It's a very serious, it's a very serious offense. Oh, absolutely. What What she's threatening to do is terrible. It's blackmail. And what you have here is a family where the mother, I guess, is blackmailing the sister by saying, I'm going to tell people at your church things about you and your husband, or I'm going to tell you and your husband things about your church. I don't remember what it is. Mom is threatening to reveal information, and the sister is afraid, so she then turns the blackmail against the letter writer.
0: Which is so weird, because it sounds like the letter writer would have helped her anyway. Exactly.
1: So you have a family that obviously has, like, there is a lot going on here that is not good. Yeah. Just because they're relating to each other this way. And I feel like for the mother to have this kind of clamp on Mm -hmm. these, these kids... There has to be some kind of trauma involved for the sister to be kind of begging, you know, come and help mom and calm her down. It sounds like talking mom out of maybe some state that they've dealt with before. It just all seems very sad to me. But I like the letter writer's instinct in the sense that I think the instinct, like the sense that you do not trust your sister is very good, is a very solid one. And the fact that when confronted, she went to the sort of, my life is more important than yours, and therefore you can't possibly understand. Right. That it's okay for me to blackmail you in a way that it's not okay for mom to blackmail me. Because what happens to you doesn't really matter because you don't have a family. Like, Mm -hmm. what a ridiculous thing to say. Right. At the same time, I understand the letter writer has, like, some desire to provide an opportunity for grace to the sister, right?
0: Yeah, I definitely don't fault the letter writer for having a sense of, like, I miss my niece and nephew. Right. And, like, I would love to be a part of their lives. And so the question is just, like, to what extent am I willing and able to put up with some level of, let's call it intensity, mm-hmm. um, in order to get that. And I I think, you know, it... it It's one thing to say, I'm going to need a little longer than a couple of months. It's also understandable to me if the letter writer were to decide ultimately that relationship with my niece and nephew is important enough that I want to keep a channel open. But then I think you need to figure out, like, how do I seriously limit the time I spend with my sister? And also, like, as they enjoy saying on Reddit, put her on an information diet about my life. Yes. Um, Like, tell her very little about your personal life um, and just keep that happening going forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I think the, the letter writer asked at one point, like, I want things to go back the way they were, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like I can ever trust her again. And like, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that black and white. I think you can, as you're saying, it's never going to be like it was before. I think that's probably too serious of a of a transgression to to ever be like it was before. If you've been close before, which I'm surprised this has kind of never come up this kind of thing with mm-hmm. them before, but... It's never going to be like it was before, but that doesn't mean you can't, like you say, leave that channel open. Yeah. So I would say
0: at this point you're well within your rights. This was only back in January, Mm -hmm, and it is barely March now, so you're fine with like, hey, you were gonna like try to ruin my professional reputation because I enjoy like complicated sex. Yeah. Um, So I'm gonna need more than a month and a half to like chill out about this one. Um, But I think really distress to your sister. Like, I just want to make it clear, I would have helped you if you had just asked the fact that you decided to add a threat uh, that has to do with my sex life, it's about as intimate a betrayal as you can get. So I just, what I need from you right now is time and space. Yeah. And I will let you know when and if I feel ready to have a cup of coffee together. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I I would encourage this letter writer to see a hopefully kink-positive therapist um, who can help you figure out, like, if this is how your family kind of normally communicates figuring out how do I want to limit that? How do I want to take step backs from some of these things? Yeah. Um, what do I want to do if in the future this happens again? Um, so that you can take this time off, not just to set, like calm down, but also to figure out, okay, they're probably not going to get great at fighting my family members in the next couple of months. How do I want to relate to that differently?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was interested in the fact that At first, the letter writer says, when I approached my sister, she was very like, you know, it's you don't have a family, you don't understand I was doing to to protect my family, you would have done the same thing. (coughs) But then at the end, it also says, she was calling me saying she was very sorry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so what is the shape of that apology? I would want to know, too. Like, is the shape of that apology like, I'm sorry all this happened, let's try to get past it? That One of those kind of like... Apologies that you can't, like, actually grab onto it because it's missed. Yeah. Or is it an apology where she's saying, I recognize that this was an abuse of personal information I had about you, and I understand why you feel so incredibly violated, and I never should have done it and would never do it again.
0: Yeah, and to just really one of the things that hopefully this therapist will be able to help you out with um, is, you know, I can't promise you that no one would ever judge you if this was something they knew about you, but, like, your sister's threat is not one that you have to take at face value. Right? Um, She's taking advantage of the fact that you... Like, everyone feels panicked. Like, everyone right now who has had any, like, remotely kinky thought is like, oh, God, if that were me, it would end my life. Like, we're all thinking that. Um, And that's just the nature of, like, having, like specific things that we want to go with the sex that we have or think about like everyone just feels like no 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 this is the thing no one can know about me yeah um and yet you know if, if you put yourself in the position of the boss you get that phone call your first thought is not like i am gonna have to fire your fir- that lawyer <laughs> yeah. your
1: because- first thought is like i don't want to hear another word about this i don't ever want to talk about it again right. and the last thing i want to do is call the person into my office like Come in here, uh, come in here, Ferguson. We got to talk about your, uh, we got to talk about the, uh, you know, your sister called about the, uh, you know, ding, ding. I mean.
0: Nope, nope. I would just, I would just mentally think like, okay, Ferguson has a really intense sister (laughs) and I will scream my calls.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I would just try to never lay eyes on Ferguson again. It's great.
0: It's all great. Life is a rich tapestry. Would you be so good as to read our second letter?
1: Oh, I absolutely would. Yeah. See, this is why I asked you if you wanted a
0: printout backstage. No, I thought I was
1: just answering. No. I would absolutely read the second letter.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: The uh, subject is happy for her, sad for me. Dear Prudence, for over 30 years, I've been a composer for musical theater and a performer in the pit orchestra. My wife of 18 years is also a talented musician in her own right. I took time off from the theater world while we raised our young children. About three years ago, an opportunity arose for me to co-write a show, and I got back into the production side. I also attempted to get some pit orchestra gigs, but nothing panned out. I eventually played for the show I wrote, and my wife wound up playing the show too. Folks loved her so much that in the five months following the show, she's booked three more pit gigs and had to turn down a fourth. Meanwhile, though I continue to write, I still have had no luck getting any work playing, and I miss it terribly. The problem? This all came so easily to her, and I never even knew it was something she was interested in doing. I love her more than anything, but I find myself battling feelings of extreme envy. I'm having a hard time getting over it as I have to listen to her rehearse music for a show I'd love to play with a company I'd tried hard to work for. I really hate feeling this way as I'm genuinely happy for her. How do I make myself get over this before the performances start? I really want to go and support her, but it's killing me inside. Yes.
0: Oh, I'm doing this for sure. Um, You go away. This is better than A Star is Born. Yeah. I love this. I want to read the romance novel right now about two highly talented pit orchestrists,
1: I guess. Yeah. Hit musicians, I don't yeah. know.
0: It sounds amazing. Yeah. Who are both incredibly talented and one is struggling to become like a better version of himself to yeah. support his wife more.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so... Like, to me, when I read this, I'm like, the good news for this for this person is... Professional jealousy is the most normal thing in yeah. the world. Yeah. Like to me, professional jealousy, like there are certain emotions where it's like, look, if you feel incredible seething anger because your sister is naming her child Timmy and you always wanted to name your child Tommy, right. like that's a dumb feeling. Like I that <laughs> like that's a that's a dumb feel. I object to that feeling. Yep. That's a dumb feeling. Sorry.
0: It is a dumb feeling. Sorry,
1: I am with Tommy you. Timmy's mom. But this is not a dumb feeling. This is a perfectly understandable feeling. I think most people, especially people who feel like in their field recognition is really hard to come by. I think you know, I had tremendous professional jealousy about Danny when Danny was a new writer and much younger than I was and very funny and it was like, oh sure. Well, this is the person everyone thinks is like so funny and so and it like it can really limit you if you let it run away with you. So I think the thing is like you just have to not act on it.
0: And you, I I think too, like you talked about it really well. Like you were normal about it. Like I'm just, I'd I'd like to give you credit for this. Like you expressed it in a way that was like generous and reasonable and like did not attempt to like blame anyone else for the way that you were feeling and also wasn't trying to beat yourself up. And it was very like, yeah, that makes sense to me.
1: I think it's a very like normal, I hope it's a very normal (laughs) thing to have happen. It has happened to me with other, this is not like a specific Danny fixation that I have. This is like, this is like throughout life. It's other people who have had podcasts. It's other people who have, you know, write, written about television. It's, it's other people who have done practically everything else I've ever done except being a lawyer because I didn't care about it. Um, but I think it's totally normal. The trick is you, you can't act on it, which means, and see, see whether you agree with me. It's perfectly normal for him to feel jealous and, and to take it really hard, but he kind of has to suck it up and try to and go to the performance and support her. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. can't stay home and pout.
0: No, oh god, no no no, absolutely don't stay home and pout. Um and and I would say to that end, there are probably ways to talk about it with your wife. I wouldn't have her be the first person you come to about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um again, I'm always going to throw in a plug for therapy, especially if you're both two like relatively successful pit musicians, you could probably even if you can only afford like two sessions, go twice, you know. You probably um, got
1: specialists. Yeah, exactly. Pit orchestra Yeah, I just
0: kind of talk through first, like, the ugliest version of it, Mm -hmm. and then also talk through, like, okay, given that I cannot control these feelings, um, and I can't control whether or not I get offered a job tomorrow, given those two realities, what's the best case scenario for my attending this performance? Yeah. And I want it to be one where I am able to, without, like, putting on a mask and pretending to be something I'm not, um, able to experience real joy for my wife, like, Simultaneously with my anxiety about my own future, uh-huh. um, where I don't try to rob her of her joy or her success, um, and where I'm able to be really present, yeah. even if sometimes I have a little roller coaster of emotions, I want to be able to ride that roller coaster yeah. well, and that's super achievable. And yeah, I'll, like just as like a a like uh, the other side of the coin to what you were talking about earlier, um, I've been in relationships where like both parties have often had similar careers. And sometimes we'd be able to talk really well about, like, after, I'm really excited for you, this is really cool. That
1: can be really like, hard on I'm
0: also, like, this makes me anxious, and yeah. I do feel some jealousy, and yeah. then we can do the, like, yeah. totally get it, makes sense. I was once in a relationship with someone where I found out much longer after I got a good job that they had been devastated that I got this good job, which they were not, like, Aww. up for, by the way. We weren't yeah. competing for it. And that they had, like kind of gotten together with one of my really good friends to talk about how much they were both hurt by it. Aww. And that was like, oh, when I found this out months later, that was really painful yeah, to me. And it yeah. was like they had kept that from me. Yeah. They had like gotten together to talk about it. And it had fueled this kind of like thing.
1: But you can see how like they might have thought like we shouldn't talk to Danny. Yeah. About and it, and it was
0: wrong. It was a bad It's not idea. like we
1: shouldn't take it out on him because it's not his like problem yeah, yeah, yeah. that we feel this way. Yeah. And yet, like, the one thing that I would ask this letter writer to reconsider is the part of the letter that says it came so easily to her. Because you actually don't know whether that's true just because she had never told you that she was interested in doing it. You don't want to assume that things come easily to people because very often what you're looking at is a lifetime of work to become good at something. Um, and it might seem like it comes easily, but that's a that's a tricky... I, I would encourage the him to try to... Push away from that feeling if yep. possible. Yeah,
0: and just again, like when those feelings come up, that's okay. You're not a bad person. Um, but figuring out, like, okay, if I've already talked this through with my wife a couple of times, right. does she need to know every single time I feel that twinge? Right, right. Is there someone else I can talk to about? And again, you know, same thing where it's like, don't necessarily go to her closest friend. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yes, I mean? Like, yeah. and and don't do it in a way that kind of feeds simultaneous like. Jealousy like, cycles. Go to
1: go to someone who's not also jealous. I would say, right? Someone who's, who's a, a totally different to job feeding your jealousy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Um, and and just remember that, like, even if it didn't go to your wife, it wasn't going to go to you. Like yeah. the thing that she, I, <laughs> I, I, I did not mean that as a slam. I really didn't. No, no, no,
1: but no, sure.
0: Like it wasn't down to the two of you.
1: Right. So it's not, it's not a zero sum game in that. Yeah. Way,
0: when you yeah. when you're like, I hear her rehearse this music mm-hmm. for a company I'd love to play for. That's real. But also just remember, like. You two were not in direct competition for this. Right. She's not taking this away from me.
1: Right. And if it helps, you know, she she got this attention partly for playing in a show that you co-wrote. Yeah. Meaning you helped make this possible. This is an accomplishment that you're partly responsible for. If that makes it more bitter, then try not to think about it. Yeah. But maybe it makes it less bitter.
0: Yeah. And I'll just end with: If you haven't already, you should definitely watch the documentary now episode uh, of Co-op with John Mulaney playing a Love Stephen it. Sondheim version. Because um, there's just a moment where he says, "When you lean into the rhyme, it takes me out of the moment and it kills me." <laughs> and I just—I don't think that's going to help you with your problem. I just think, as a pit musician, you'll probably enjoy
1: it. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: Pit gigs—that's just fun to say.
1: Oh yeah,
0: I, that's a, still yeah. a real problem, but yeah. it's just fun for yeah. me to say. So we also talked about this next letter a little bit backstage and I'm excited about it because uh, it's kind of like Schrodinger's father-in-law where it's like, he definitely falls somewhere on the like creepy continuum, but it's a little bit unclear where exactly. And um, I'm really excited about this. I love it, love it, love (laughs) father-in-laws. Subject, father-in-law makes me uneasy. Dear Prudence, my father-in-law insists on a kiss hello. He initiates by going for a hug, but I turn my cheek to try to avoid the cheek kiss. When I do so, he comments on it and claims that we need a, quote, redo.
1: There's a real anti-cheek kiss faction
0: right over here
1: doing a lot of gasping. I think it's
0: the redo redo that gets everyone going. Well,
1: no, but they were on it earlier, too. They were on it the minute you said... yeah, cheek kiss. <laughs> there, there's a. This is where yeah. at team no cheek kiss is yes. over here. Yeah.
0: He's also acknowledged that this makes me uncomfortable yet persists. I think I'm also uneasy about this because my father-in-law seems controlling and once made a weird comment about my career and dress. I'm a young professional, and one day I got home to find him on my back deck. My husband was not home. I'm not sure how it came up, but he asked if I ever have to wear those, quote, slutty business clothes. End quote to work. I love this audience. I wish I could have you guys. They're on the like podcast. they're
1: ready to go ahead and convict this father-in-law yeah. right now.
0: I, I do I do enjoy the part of this job that feels like a medieval morality play. <laughs> or I'm like a Roman emperor where I'm like, <laughs> do we spare him? Or do we send him to the lions? Um no, you guys, the Roman audiences were bad. <laughs> like you never saw Gladiator. Father to a murdered Gladiator's son. Gladiator's bad. Husband to a murdered wife. He, he talked very strangely in that film. All right. Uh, I've discussed this with my... Oh, sorry. I averted the question uh, and occupied myself preparing dinner until my husband arrived. I've discussed this with my husband and he agreed that it was odd and has assured... I will never be left alone with my father-in-law again. How can I avoid the kiss hello with the father-in-law? I would love to go on a diatribe about his actions and consent, but given his politics and reactions in the past, it would have no impact. I'm actually going back to the lions. I like that. Yeah.
1: So, so what we were talking about backstage is that there is such a thing as, you know, families where people are accustomed to kissing on the cheek, right? Let's a- agree upon that. And there are also families where people are used to a lot more like r- razzing each other than I personally enjoy.
0: Especially a sort of playful like, "Oh, this person doesn't like this. this thing, person doesn't like So we'll like do it this, all a little extra. So
1: I'm going to do it more. And particularly, like if 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 the father-in-law is saying like we need a redo, and then she's like, "Well, okay," like he still shouldn't do it. I'm not. I'm not defending. No, so, I'm so, not so, defending no one, no one, the no one's
0: worried that you're like, no, I love him. He's great. <laughs>
1: He's clearly, like, we're just here. trying to figure out, like, where he where he may lie right. on the scale of terrible manners to creeper. Yeah. And he's obviously somewhere in there. Yeah. The cheek kiss thing is, is just, I, I would encourage at least taking a shot at actually just saying, I really don't like it, I am serious, I really don't want you to do it, or asking your husband to, which I think is also something that can sometimes work depending on all the relationships involved. The comment about the, the comment is, do you have to wear, do you ever have to wear those slutty business clothes? I've parsed it
0: so many different ways in my head.
1: Danny and I were talking about the fact that it's like, is it, do you ever have to wear those slutty business clothes because you should? Is it, do you ever have to wear those slutty business clothes because you shouldn't? Or is it, do you ever have to wear those slutty business clothes? Because I read this thing in the New York Times. But, like, what are, just, like a, what are slutty business clothes? I agree. And the other thing is, it seemed like she had come home from work. Yeah. Why is he on the deck? Like, but, does then, he have a, but the, here's does the he thing. Does
0: he have a key to your house? There's because some if
1: so, explanation for that. change like, the lock. Why had the father, why, why does the father in law have the key, right? So, after all of this, like, all of this, I went back to what she's actually asking, which is, how do I avoid the cheek kiss? And I think you have to at least, like, it's not her job to figure out where on that scale the father-in-law lies. I think, I'm glad that she and her husband have reached what seems to me to be a proportional response in the sense that she's not alone with the father-in-law, although if I'm the husband and my wife doesn't want to be alone with my dad, that's concerning. Yes. And I'm surprised the husband has kind of left it there, but... As to the cheek kiss, I would at least give a shot to firmly expressing how you feel, not averting the kiss. That doesn't work on the razzing and cheek kissing kind of people. They have no right to assume that you're just playing around, but they might assume it. So take at least one shot, if you haven't already, at saying, no, I really don't like that and I really don't want you to do it.
0: Yeah, and I think with that, the way that you do it is the next time that you see him. Right. You, like... Put up the hand and just like, hey, I just want to make it really clear. I actually don't like doing a cheek kiss. I'm just going to hug you hello when I see you. Um, and that, like, lets him know. So Such that, like, you've been very clear. Such that if he, like, tries to toy with that boundary, you just get to right. follow up with, you know I don't enjoy it when you kiss me. Why would you still want to do it? And then being prepared to let him, like, sit in an uncomfortable silence. There's, um like, a community center that I spend a lot of time at where there are occasionally, like, some missing stare type dudes. Um, if you're familiar with the expression, it's the sort of like guy who's like, uh, but everyone's sort of like, Oh, we've just sort of developed it. We all just know to avoid that stare. And then somebody shows up and they don't know it and they fall through the stairs and everyone's like, Oh, well you should have gone gone over that. And it's just like, how would I have known that? And it's like, because we all work really hard not to fix that stare. (laughs) But like over the course of the year that I was starting to transition, it was really weird to like, um, phase out of his creepy hugging target. Like I, I could like point to the week where it saw like it went from like we're gonna hug to just like there you are. But that hey, wasn't, buddy. That wasn't great either because then he just started calling me Little Miss Change Your Name, and I was like, that is not how oh I would my describe my transition.
1: That is not good at all. It was yeah, not my no, favorite. I, and the thing is, like as we were talking about before, you will learn a lot from saying. Yes. Please don't do this. I really don't like it. Because if you receive any pushback to that, now you're moving way over toward creeper. Yes.
0: And then from, I think that's her. when it's time to say to your husband, yeah. we actually need to like move up from just like, you stay as a buffer to like, you need to have a talk with your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, if he has a key to the house, we need to take it away. Right. And or I hope need they've to, already done that. Actually. Yeah. And or you need to explain to him that unless we invite him over, um, he doesn't come over.
1: Well, the, the other thing that I find funny is she's like, I don't remember how it came up, the thing about the slutty business clothes. I'm like, you don't? Like,
0: I don't know. I can, I can imagine that this is the kind of guy that when you hang around him, you you try to tune out as much as yeah, you can. Yeah, no, that's Like, it right. just is sort true. of like, all no, right, he's there, were, he's there. Were, and I'm then you hear sorry, the phrase I interrupted slutty your, business clothes and you're like, what?
1: I interrupted your excellent, your ex- excellent wrap-up. Oh,
0: no. I, yeah, at any rate, yeah. Go ahead and say that. if If he's on the milder end of things he will drop it and that will be great and you can just always have a like slightly like sense of relief when your father-in-law leaves and if he like delights in, oh, a woman is trying to set a boundary. I can't wait to make a big fucking meal out of it. Um, Then, you know, he's a real piece of shit and you got to say to your husband like. And he
1: he may roll his eyes and do the thing where he's like, I'm not going to touch you because I know you don't like uh... it. And like, it's terrible but like, that not t- I, I,
0: I definitely prefer being a Little Miss Change Your Name to getting the hug. Like, I'll t- I'll take it.
1: That's the thing. I it's, won't. I don't
0: like it. It you're makes have me to like sad.
1: Him. Um. You'll know, you'll probably outlive him.
0: Oh, definitely. He's yeah, yeah. It's got really
1: dark, right there. I'm I just, love you all, all very these, much. After this, after this, my answer to everything is going to be yeah. Okay. probably outlive him. All
0: right. So. It's your turn, again, to read.
1: cool, 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 cool. Okay. Uh, To take in a child's friend or not.
0: Neither of us have children. I just want to, like, preface this.
1: Um, Dear Prudence, my daughter is 14, and two of her best friends are both transitioning. One of them has a super supportive family. The other does not. His family is religiously conservative, and while they haven't stopped him, they aren't supporting him either. He stopped attending therapy at the end of last year when he ran out of insurance-covered visits because his family won't pay for it. His insurance coverage kicked back in in January, but the same thing is going to happen again soon. More importantly, his family refuses to call him by his chosen name and misgenders him and refuses to go to therapy with him. He's getting very depressed, which is making my daughter sad. Recently, he told my daughter that his dad told him it was okay if he wanted to move out, and now my daughter wants him to move in with us. The problem is that we don't really have room. I'm a single mom with two kids in a one-bedroom apartment. I sleep in the living room, and my son sleeps in what used to be a dining room. I can't afford to move because my rent would more than double to get a second bedroom. But it breaks my heart to see this young man suffering so much. Offering him a loving home seems like a no-brainer, but my brain keeps saying, where's he going to sleep? Who's going to pay for his groceries and his health insurance? <sighs>
0: yeah, this one's really rough. I don't It is really rough. I don't know that we're going to solve this one yeah. in the next couple of minutes here yeah. on the stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's funny though. I, I got a letter quite a lot like this, uh, this morning for the live chat from somebody who was essentially in this teenager's position. And that's not to say I know what's going to happen to this particular kid, but it was very much like I tried to come out as trans when I was a teenager. My parents like sent me to a therapist, not like reparative therapy, but like just right. a general therapist. Right. But the co-pays were really high and it was very clear that they didn't want me to do it. So I, just said you know what it's probably a phase forget it and now it's like 15 years later and sometimes I dream about transitioning and when I wake up I just want to go to sleep again and like what do I do um and it's just you know it's it's painful like especially the degree to which like trans kids are such a like hot topic of like what's to be done and so often like what's done is just like now that it's a little more out in the open that like maybe it's not cool to like throw your children into the street for implying that they might be trans. It's like, fine, I'll take you to therapy, I guess, but it's really expensive. And this is a huge hassle for me. And it's like, yeah, your kid's 14 and like wants you to love them super bad. Mm -hmm. Like they're definitely going to like, you know, if they don't like run off, they're going to be like, okay, I made it up. I'm sorry. Love me again. Like, don't be an asshole to 14 year olds is one thing you can do. Anyways, that's not that's not the people who have written to us. Um, so, all that said, the question is like: Should I have several children sleeping on my couch who I can't afford to feed? Would that be helpful in the long run? And I totally understand that conflict. And I would I, I would not say that this letter writer is like in it. There's an immediate crisis where like. Someone's immediate, like physical safety is so in like it doesn't sound like the kid's like I'm this close to hurting myself, right? Um, and so it, there's not like a crisis point where you have a moral obligation to take them in tonight. I don't think. Yeah. Do you? Have I any- agree. Now yeah.
1: I, I. It is so hard because I think I, I love the instincts that this that this woman has about taking care of this kid. While also not wanting to, you know, I don't, she's not a hero because she wants to help a kid who is is suffering. Um, but it's a lovely, it's a lovely instinct to have. Um, I do think the cart is before the horse a little bit because the kid telling the woman's daughter, my dad says it's okay if I move out. Right. Does not necessarily mean that it is okay right. if the kid moves out. Right. And I think there are a couple of different ways to go, right? You can say, you know, you can employ a, a version of of what doctors call watchful waiting. You can you can say, I'm gonna keep an eye on this kid. I can't do it right now. We just can't. Um, we don't have the space, we don't have the money. Um, and then just keep a very, very close eye out. Or Sorry, go ahead.
0: And I would say to that end, um maybe rope in the supportive family of the other kid who's transitioning. I was going to say that like, too.
1: Maybe maybe in a tag team between right. you and the supportive family of the other kid who's transitioning, maybe you can um you know come to some agreement that's, you know, it's not the kid living with you, but it's a ton of contact with your two families. Maybe it's, you know, maybe the kid has dinner with one of your two families Every night, maybe the kid sleeps over on weekends, every weekend at somebody's house. And, you know, for a, for a night, a kid can sleep on the floor or right. whatever. Um, so there may be, may be space in between the two extremes of kind of say no or yeah. have yeah, the kid Yeah, it's not move in. like
0: we'll do nothing or this kid can move in and live with us for the next right. four years and I'll start right. a college fund for him.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, I think... Yeah, as you say, and again, that conversation with the other parents doesn't have to be like, hey, you're super nice to your trans kid. Would you like to have a second one? <laughs> like, you don't need to, like, you know, you don't need to be volunteering that, but just, you know, be like liaising, Liaisoning. Yeah. I've only ever seen that word written down. I don't know how to say it. Liaise. Yeah. That can't be right. No. Um, right. Yeah, I'm like, trying. get in touch with them and just say, like, hey you know, this kid is over at our house a lot. Do you guys see him often? Have you been kind of, like, kept up to date on the latest stuff that's going on with him at home? You know, just just kind of let them know that you want to be, like, have, a, like, a, a small, like, team of caring parents who are in this kid's corner um, and who can maybe, like, yeah, you can't take him in right now but can help him figure out insurance information making yeah. sure he has a photocopy of important documents in case it does escalate and his parents do kick him out in the middle mm-hmm, of the night mm-hmm. it's going to be really helpful for him when it comes to stuff like getting um, name and gender markers changed uh, all the way up to like applying for FAFSA if he goes to college mm-hmm. um, or getting a job someday to get like photocopies of um, his birth certificate and his social security card Like, which is stuff a 14 year old is not going to be thinking of again that's not like Something you need to do right now, but like it would be good to have an adult in his life who's keeping an eye on that.
1: Yeah, and And, I, yeah, and I think I think too that I mean, ultimately, if you were to ever decide that you wanted this kid to to stay with you for any period of time, temporarily, a few weeks, whatever, you can always have a conversation with the other parent if it really is okay with the with the father of the kid. Yeah, for him to move out, you can have a conversation that says, "I'm going to take the kid in." But he needs to stay on your insurance, mm-hmm. and you need to, you know, they, you know, parents do have an obligation to support their kids, yeah. even if they're not living with them. Yeah. If you let your kid go live with somebody, um, you still have an obligation to make sure that your kid is supported. And so, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would be responsible for absolutely every expense in the kid's life, and the parents would give nothing, right? But it's it kind it's, of depends on where they're at. I was just going to say yeah. these are all just awful situations and if everybody in the world were trying as hard as this woman is to be decent yeah we'd be in pretty good shape well um, uh, i wouldn't
0: i would have no job <laughs> <laughs> um but no I'm, I'm I'm right there with you and i think too um i don't know if you live in a small town but if you're even remotely near like a mid-sized town there may be a local lgbt center yeah and i would say definitely get in touch with them ask for resources ask for tips they may offer like sliding scale or free mm-hmm. like trans friendly therapists mm-hmm. that might be really helpful um they might have other resources that like this kid should be able to get access to yeah. they may know about state services the kid can get access to in addition to the support that you and your daughter are willing to provide him and then i would just say the last thing is talk about it a little bit with your daughter and and invite her into the process of like You know, not like the two of you are making this call together, but her instincts are good. She's, you know, in the process of growing up. You want her to kind of help figure out, like, what do you do when you both want to help people and you also have certain limitations on your time and resources? What do you think is a a good, meaningful thing that we can offer? What are some solutions that you think might be helpful? Yeah. Um, Ask for her
1: thoughts. Yeah. Mm.
0: My voice is changing. I'm a growing boy. Um, Ask for some of her thoughts when you guys are thinking about what you can do as a family.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing you said about the LGBT Center also makes me think, like, that's another example of, like, they probably can help you figure out what's the emergency plan if this kid needs one in the middle of the night, and it's so much easier to figure out what's that emergency plan at 2 p.m. on a Thursday than it is to be trying to figure it out at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night because this finally blew up. So they may be able to help also figure out what the contingency is.
0: And they'll be like. able to help because this happens a lot. A yeah. lot of trans kids get kicked out of the house or run out of the house. Um, and so, you know, if you call Trans Lifeline, if you call your local LGBT center, you will not be the first person calling yeah. about this. And
1: one of my worries is that when the kid says, my dad says, it's okay if I move out, he's really saying, I'm thinking of leaving my home. Right. Is it possible that if I run away, I could come over here?
0: Right. Or, Or, you know it can often escalate where it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you can live somewhere else if you want to, if you're going to persist in being trained. Right, right, You know, right, it can right, go pretty quickly right, from like, right. yeah, I guess you could leave to get out now. Yeah. Um, those yeah. things can happen really quickly. Yeah. So, <sighs> you know, we could kind of endlessly talk about the options there, and I think it's, it's a good time to move on um, and just go back to a good old-fashioned sex problem. <laughs> the subject is... Antidepressants are affecting my sex life. Actually, it says ruining, but I felt like that was judgmental language. But um, I'm, not, I'm not here to censor the letters. I'm just here to answer them. Dear Prudence, my young husband of 10 years is on antidepressants that have completely shut down his sex drive and made sex feel like a chore for him. He had terrible panic attacks before getting on his current medication. And I'm thrilled for both of us that the meds are working and that he's been able to return to working well at work, being more emotionally connected at home. However... The lack of sex in our relationship is sending me into a depression. Oh, I see what you did there, letter writer. (laughs) I have a high sex drive and a real baked-in need to feel desired and pursued, at least sometimes, which is off the table in our current situation. I've asked my husband to put the focus on my pleasure and, quote, do things for me, and I do most of the initiating, but it often goes nowhere because sex just isn't in the front of his mind ever. And I end up feeling hurt. He is 1,000% unwilling to revisit his medication or talk to his doctor because it was difficult to find meds that worked for his particular problem, and he's terrified of losing the hold on reality that he has achieved. Even bringing this up leads to him yelling that I don't understand what he went through and that he would rather be alone and never have sex than go back to how things were before. I have told him that these aren't actually the choices, but he just gets angry. I empathize deeply with him and his fear of messing up with the meds but I feel too young and sexy to give up on having a happy sex life. Especially since we used to enjoy plenty of lusty sex before this. And in a perfect world, I would be jumping on him every day. If I do that now, he literally pushes me away, although gently. I love my husband dearly, but I'm going nuts here. What can I do to hang on to my sanity when my need for touching and intimacy and being desired, he doesn't, is going unmet.
1: How you doing? A lot of there there, huh? Well, I mean, okay, so, you know, I have been extremely open about the fact that I have meds for depression and anxiety, and they've been incredibly helpful to me. Um, the difference between, you know, being a an okay person and being a, a substantially happy person. Um, definitely the anxiety was incredibly crippling. And I, when I think about the possibility of, like, what if you had to go back, off the medication. It's actually something I worry about a lot when I think about health insurance mm. is what would ever happen to me if I if I lost access to my my meds. Um and I think she is not adequately I think she's not sympathetic enough to the genuine fear that he has that this may be the the only regimen that he's going to find. It sounds like it has taken some time to find a regimen that works. I encourage her to understand He's absolutely right when he says, you don't understand what I've been through. That is absolutely true. And she also needs to accept that when he says, I would rather not have sex at all than go back to the way I was before. And she says, well, I've told him those aren't the choices. You don't know that. Yeah. You don't know that. Um. It is a great hope that you can find meds that don't have side effects that are extremely difficult for you, but you cannot assume for someone else that there's absolutely gonna be an answer that is gonna allow them to maintain their sex drive. Everybody knows that is a very common side effect. And everybody knows that there are certain meds that have a better reputation than others when it comes to affecting your your libido. But she can't stand there and say, if he would just talk to his doctor, he could find one that would do the same thing, except he would be more horny, which would be great for me. Right. At the same time, I think it's worth him talking to his doctor. I don't think that he needs to promise her that he'll change his meds. But I think it's worth, I think in, the, in a marriage, mm-hmm. I think it's okay to expect him to talk to his doctor. What do you think?
0: So I, I think I also probably fall in the same category as you where I understand where the letter writer is coming from. I don't want to dismiss um, either her sex drive or just her desire for some physical closeness. Um, but I come down much like you do, I think very much on the side of like, it sounds like he's only pretty recently gotten medication that works for him. And I think the only time, unless he has a habit of making really out of nowhere declarations, I think the reason he said, you need to know that I am willing to live the rest of my life this way is because he feels like she keeps pushing him. Absolutely. Like, he he feels like, okay, you need to know this. Right. Knowing how unhappy it makes you, this is a big enough deal for me that I will never have sex again. If I can keep feeling this way, this is okay. Yep. Um, and that's, again... You don't know that that's going to be forever, but you, I think should take him at his word. And again, like when it comes to brain chemistry and medication, the only person who really knows if it's working is him. And if for 10 years, you know, uh, well, no, you've been married for 10 years. It's slightly unclear how long he was having horrible panic attacks, but like it was really, really bad. This makes him feel alive again. Um, Mm -hmm. and even, even like talking to your doctor and like being willing to try to tweak your medication is a big risk. Um, I, I have lots of people in my life who have been on various medications where even slight changes often Mm -hmm. bring big swings and it's really scary and there's no guarantee that even if you then go back to your old dose that it's going to work again. Mm So, you know, if part of what he's saying, like, again, if this is like kind of a recent equilibrium for him to just say, I need to not tweak this for the time being, right, that needs to come off the table. I, I think you've got to hear that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Um,
1: and then, I and then I think you know. I think this is the kind of situation where I'm. I am. Um, you know, I understand why people have conversations about should we open up our marriage for some period of time. Should you talk about the possibility that you could um, <clears throat> that you could seek sex outside outside your marriage with within very specific. Um, boundaries with very specific understandings between the two of you, this is the kind of situation where I feel like maybe um, that might, might make some sense for them. But ultimately, if what she wants is for him to have the same desire for her that he used to have, in the sense that it just hurts her that he doesn't, that may not, she may not ever get that. There's a good chance she'll never get that.
0: I I had that same thought too which was like I often hear from people who do a a little bit of the like uh, like the dad in my big fat Greek wedding with Windex where they're like put an open relationship on it where someone's like my knee hurt one time and someone's always like have you tried having an open relationship? And like I, so true. Again, not everyone who's in an open relationship does this, but there is a certain subsection where just like this solves everything,
1: and it's more normal anyway. It's more natural. You know, actually, we're
0: allergic to monogamy, um, and 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 that can just be a bit much. And I actually read this, and I was like, this was this would not be the next thing I would suggest that they do, but like this actually might be a circumstance where it would make sense. That said, I can also understand if this letter writer were to say the idea of having sex with other people and then living with the love of my life who doesn't want to have sex with me would be devastating and unacceptable to me, I would get that and I would say don't push it. If, if, if you hear that suggestion and you're like, nope, I would rather be divorced and start over, then that's your answer. And,
1: and it may be that this is not your right relationship anymore. It is possible things change in people's lives and maybe this isn't the love of your, maybe, I mean, maybe it's the love of your life in a sense, but... Not the right partner for you Yeah. anymore.
0: So, but whether you two get divorced or develop some sort of open relationship or some other thing, none of those I think are the next item on the agenda. The yeah. next thing that you do is you say to your husband, I'm really sorry. While I think it's okay and important for me to talk about what I want from our sex life – I have clearly been bringing it up in a way that um, makes you feel like I'm pushing for you to change your medications. And I haven't been listening to you when you say that the way this makes you feel is something that you are not able to or willing to change. And I just want you to know I hear that, and I'm going to stop pushing for that. Um, and I think you need to mean that. I, I really do think you need to take him at his word when he says, this is a matter of like whether or not I can enjoy living in my body and my mind. Um, and I need this. Um, that's serious. I take you at your word. I will not ask you to change that again. Um,
1: yeah, and I think if if you're at a point where you're saying I want to jump on him all the time, if I jump on him, he pushes me away. Stop, stop jumping. Stop doing it. Yeah. It, it really seriously, stop doing it because I guarantee you that doesn't feel good to him either, and he doesn't. He, he's not doing it to be cruel to you and, and it probably makes him miserable every time he has to do it because he used to enjoy sex too and he probably is also unhappy that he no longer enjoys or desires sex with you. Right. I mean, it, clearly for him, it wasn't like, I can't
0: wait to get rid of my sex drive. It was things are so bad that now that my sex drive is gone, but I have my mm-hmm. equilibrium, I am okay with that. Yeah. I, I have peace with that choice. Yeah. I don't want to try to change that. Yeah, um, That's pretty, again, that's that speaks to how bad it was for him before. So once you make it clear, I'm not going to keep trying to test that boundary. I'm not going to keep trying to kiss your cheek when you turn the cheek away. Um, But I want us to talk about what kind of sex life we want to have, what kinds of touch feel comfortable and non-pressure for you, you, how we might signal to one another that like maybe sex of any kind is not on the table today, but I would love to hold each other for a little while. How can we talk about that? Um, And then, you know, for me, like, as your partner who does still have a high sex drive, I want to at least be able to, like, maybe just have, like, a kind of friendly, like, we talk about it where it's like, all right, I'm going to go jerk off. And then he can be like, good luck, honey. Like, something where you're still, like, keeping some sort of connection there. And then, again, as time goes on, you can say... I really want to like go out dancing tonight and flirt with somebody. Is that okay with you? And he might say, like, no, that makes me feel awful and I feel like we're in a terrible position. And then you guys can go to couples counseling and figure out if there's a way through it. Maybe you get divorced. Maybe you try the dancing. Maybe it's fun for both of you. Maybe you try the dancing and you hate it. I don't know. But like there's gonna be a lot of little steps in between here and there. But mostly I would just say, um, you know, give this a little time. It sounds like this is pretty new. Um, I understand. That you want to be touched and desired. I get that. I don't think that you should blame yourself for feeling those things. But I also think that you need to figure out what are other ways that I can, uh, c- like, communicate my need for <laughs> desire and affection to my partner. Um, given that, like, for him, the cost of having a sex drive is, like, not, f- not knowing how to be alive.
1: Yeah. And I think when she says, like, I told him to just do things for me, like, people don't find it enjoyable If they're truly not into it, people don't find it enjoyable to just get you off necessarily. (laughs) Like, if they really don't want to be there and they really don't want to be doing it, like... She's probably getting that he actually is not into it and doesn't want
0: to. Right, be this right. isn't like hey, in a like marriage, we should be both like going down on each other a equal amount of times. Kind and it's of a also thing.
1: not like oh, I have an injury to my hip and I can't do whatever it is we normally do, sure. so I'm just going to do this other thing. This is truly like he doesn't want to be there. Right. And if you don't feel sexy, trying to get someone else off is mostly just like hanging up a cabinet. Like it's not. It's it's. <laughs> Menial labor yeah. in a way
0: Yeah I, I think when the fundamental Issue is just that someone's like I am not in the Mood for any kind of sexual contact yeah. It's not about doing something or not doing right. Something right. I don't want our interaction to be Sexual that's kind of it you, you can't round that one up You can't turn that into something else that's Not like okay well what if I do this other Thing it's just like okay I will I will have to find another way To deal with this um, And it, you guys can talk about it you're, you're married You can talk about these things, but you can't push for, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, do you feel like it now? Because that's just going to make him feel like, I need to get away from you. Oh, I love this next one. This one's so great. This one's nice and easy, and you get to read it. It's so great. You're going to have a terrible time on this trip. (laughs)
1: Subject, travel tensions. Dear Prudence, I am a college student nearing the end of my study abroad experience. A friend of mine and I are tra- are planning to meet up after the end of our different programs and travel around Europe for three weeks. I am I am super excited for everything we're going to see, but I'm also getting kind of nervous. While we're very close, my friend can be extremely moody and blunt. It has been a little stressful communicating with her. For instance, we were supposed to FaceTime to talk details, but I was called to dinner with my host family, and it slipped my mind. When I messaged her saying I had forgotten and apologized, she responded with, that's pretty rude. And even when I sent a much longer message apologizing for messing up her planned schedule, (sighs) because I knew she was stressed... She gave no indication that she accepted the apology. Recently, she sent me links to a bunch of Airbnbs for one of the cities we'll be visiting. I was looking at Airbnbs for a city that comes early in our plans, and I didn't respond before going to bed. The next day, I got a message from her saying only, respond, which really rubbed me the wrong way. I know that I am not always the most prompt at responding, but I didn't appreciate how curt the message was. My friend can also be pretty insistent that there's a specific way that things need to be, need to happen, or a time by which things need to be booked scheduled, even against advice that I offer as someone who has traveled much more than she. She has also stated offhand that she is done with looking at art after her study abo- abroad program. <laughs> but museums and galleries are some of the things I anticipated doing during our travels because I really enjoy them how do I balance our respective to revel styles how do I know when I am in the wrong versus when she is being demanding or rude like with the respond message I don't want to feel irritated the whole trip
0: (laughs) I forgot about that line of like art it's over (laughs)
1: I am, art done is done. Lo- I am done looking at art.
0: I've seen it all.
1: Too much art. Yeah. I hate Europe. Um, so much fucking art. Yeah, Man, oh
0: man. Um, you know, good news, bad news is this is kind of like a classic upper middle class rite of passage. <laughs> which is like, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is that you will get to go to Europe and be in a fight. <laughs> which like, that's an Edith Wharton novel right there.
1: And your parents will, your parents will still get you into college. Yeah. So, so,
0: like, again, not to say... Oh, was that, a, was that a Felicity H. Muffman joke? How fun was it to be on Twitter today? It's been so long since it felt like there was one thing we could all have a really good time with.
1: How rich do you have to be to be like, I'm going to pretend my kid is on crew?
0: it as someone someone who went to an evangelical christian college in suburban los angeles did not feel i could it was amazing it was like it was like hearing about people who were like buying the moon
1: i went to oberlin so it was all irrelevant to me because if it's athletic scholarships it didn't matter go ahead
0: it's terrific it's a great story we can all feel good about and everyone's jokes have just been really terrific It was a good day. Yeah, it was
1: a good day. I agree.
0: We had a good time. Good time. So, yeah, you two are gonna fight a lot uh, on this trip. That's going to happen. Uh huh. Um, For me, I relate a lot to the letter writer. Mm -hmm. Less so to the friend. Especially at that
1: relate to the friend.
0: Especially at that age. Yeah. If somebody had said to me, rude, I would have died.
1: Mm -mm 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 -mm.
0: Like. especially like a certain type of friendship dynamic at that age like someone saying I don't like that or that's rude is like that's against the rules you can't say that I can have a five hour conversation with your roommate after you've gone to bed about how unreasonable you've been ever since your study abroad trip but like I would never say rude like (laughs) like why don't you just take my Mm -hmm. skin and face (laughs) like So I I definitely
1: relate to like, yeah. She said it was rude. Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> what happens now? Yeah. I don't understand yeah. what happens now. What, no, uh, this is really would, this is yeah. really true. What
0: yeah. are you going to do? What, do you, what would you be like? Trips off. I don't like you anymore. Would it be something else? So
1: my friend Sam Sanders who hosts the podcast, it's been a minute for Thank NPR. Thank you for using full names Very by the good. way. Like
0: put your friends on blast.
1: My friend Sam Sanders Uh, when he was coming up with a podcast for NPR, I told him that he should have an advice show. Um, No no offense. There (laughs) are a lot of them. I am
0: not offended. The appetite for them is boundless. And
1: I told him, I told him you should have have an advice show. And he said, I can't give advice. You know why? Because every time somebody tells me their problems, I just say, break up. (laughs) I just say, break up. And so there is part of me (laughs) that looks at this letter and says... Cancel the trip. Just cancel the trip. Don't go. Yeah, you're go. totally, yeah, you're totally allowed to. And you're totally allowed to. If you feel like it is too late to cancel the trip, you feel like it is too um, uh, inconvenient to cancel the trip. You have, you know, especially if you've all, if you both put down money and stuff like that. I understand that. If you decide that you're going to go, my recommendation is that you transform it from uh, the kind of cruise that you would go. Like, think of it like a cruise. There's the kind of cruise that you go on with someone that you're currently in love with. And there's the kind of cruise that you go on with someone you just broke up with. Where
0: cruises have you been on?
1: Where you have, you've already paid for the stateroom, everybody insists they want to go. So what you do is, it's hard not to run into each other on the ship, and you even have to share the stateroom, but you ignore each other as much as possible. And once you are on shore, everybody goes different directions. Yeah. And you can run a friend trip more that way, where maybe you see each other on the conveyances between Vienna, and uh, I don't know. Where do you go from Vienna? Prague.
0: Somebody was Thank like you. so over Prague, obviously.
1: Prague. <laughs> Prague. So give between... me a hard
0: one. Scoop of vanilla. <laughs> scoop of chocolate. Don't waste my
1: time. So you're on the you're on the train between Vienna and Prague, which means I hope there's no like major water bodies in between, but you're on the train, Vienna, Prague. Then you hang out and you talk on the train, maybe, until you get tired of each other, and then somebody goes to the cafe car. But when you actually get to Prague, even if you're staying in the same place, everybody goes their own way. And you know what you do? You go look at art. <laughs> and this person goes off and does whatever she thinks is fun like yelling at people.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I think, I I agree. If it's not, like, non-refundable, I think to just do, like, hey, it seems like we've got really different travel schedules. Let's not do it. Um, But basically, even if you do decide to do it, I think the magic, the way to get through this is like to break the spell of, I can't let my friend get mad at me. Cause your friend is already mad at you most of the time. Like, she is moody, she is blunt, she like (laughs) spams you with Airbnb things. And then when you like have dinner with your host family in a different time zone, she's like, please respond. It's like, I'm sure she's also a nice person, but like, don't base all of your reactions to her out of the hope that like she won't get mad. She's gonna get mad at you. Right. So say stuff like, I'm planning on looking at a lot of art. What do you think you want to do when I'm in museums? And either she'll say, oh, uh, I'll go do something else. I'll go, like, reinvent clubbing or whatever. Or she'll say, no, you can't go look at art. I don't want to. And then you can say, yeah, I'm going to look at art.
1: Or she'll say, well, okay, I'll come look at art. In which case you should say, no, that's okay. Okay. You go do something else because don't take her with you to look at art.
0: Yeah. Or just like, I plan on looking at like the following museums today and I'm going to go at a pretty, pretty fast pace. If you don't think that sounds fun, I don't come with me. Um, and that's fine. She will be miffed and that's fine. She will either learn to find something in Europe that she likes. It's a big state. And like, she'll be fine. Um, she will. But yeah, basically I would say like stop worrying about keeping your friend happy Um and, and just be super, like, upfront with, like, this is my plan for the day. You're yeah. welcome to join me if any yeah. of it sounds fun. But yeah. if not, I totally understand just meeting up at the, like, hostel for dinner later.
1: Mm-hmm. And for future reference, for people out there planning trips, three weeks is a long time with one person.
0: I love it. No, you have to, like... Do something. If you go to college, you have to plan a trip with your friends where you all hate each other at the end.
1: I know. It's just part of. Still feel like that particular life cycle. It's
0: it's 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 part of the thing. It's part of the thing. I get it. First, you pretend to be on crew. Then you fight through Europe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you get a job writing for late night TV, and then you have a blog about children. Um, This is very specific. I don't know. I'm just picking a life plan for this person. I just—you gotta love the confidence of like looking at art over it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if you're gonna go to Europe, Definitely like path. what? You... <laughs> they have no, a bunch <laughs> of art there. Europe has
0: so much art. They stole most of the rest of the art. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is so th- true. I say they
0: like we haven't done that. Too. I know, like, it's so... true. No.
1: we we have stolen most. Um, of the art. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Anyways, I don't know don't worry about offending this person. That If I could like go back into my early 20s and like give myself, okay, the first gift would be like, you're going to end up being a boy. It's weird. Don't worry about it. But the <laughs> other the other one would definitely be like, it's fake when people get mad at you. Yeah. Like it's possible to do wrong things that hurt people. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do that. But like getting in trouble because your friend is mad at you is yeah. fake.
1: It's yep. not real. Mm-hmm.
0: And at the time I was like, no, it's the realest thing in the world. No,
1: but and the friends that you will keep or not keep, it won't be because of that.
0: Yeah, but oh, I hate conflict so bad. Uh, which, which is why it's funny that I have the job that I have. Um, so the last letter that we have on the docket is, she just won't vaccinate. We we have, yeah, we're all on the same page here. You should. Um,
1: I got I got time. We got.
0: Yeah, we got time. Shoot, um, dear Prudence. I have a family member who refuses to vaccinate her child. She claims it's her prerogative. That is a misuse of Bobby Brown. <laughs> what, what, what is with me today? I do Bobby Brown, City Slickers, and Adrian Zemed. Like
1: You're, you're, you're uh, surfing the decades.
0: I am just hopping time zones. Okay. Uh, she won't listen to anyone quote, least of all people without children on the topic. That's weird. I still like not dying of polio. <laughs> I've kept my mouth shut up until now because frankly I don't see her that often and figured she would just ignore me. The issue now is twofold. She's spreading clearly false information on social media and we have another family member who unfortunately has an autoimmune disorder and depends on herd immunity to stay healthy. I'd really like to confront my family member and tell her she's spreading false information and should educate herself. Opinions do not equal facts. But don't want to come across as belittling her. Any advice on how to proceed? So... The one thing about this that's really tricky, and this was something that Nicole pointed out in Denver is like for people who are solidly in the like anti vaccination movement, showing showing them information does nothing. like you can point to any number of studies, all of the doctors that there are, and because it's such an identity that is like based in I don't trust information, um that often doesn't get you anywhere, which can feel so maddening because it's like. How does how does this not work on you?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, unfortunately, this is a place where I think most of the time when people deal with something that they think places someone else in danger, you always feel like you're trying to, to solve it yourself with the backstop of you can always call the cops or something like that. And if you've ever dealt with, you know, children, family services and people like that, you know, that's an incredibly imperfect uh, route to take also, um, their history with you know poor families and families of color and things like that in many places is not great. They're overburdened. but you have some kind of backstop if you think somebody is hurting their kids. you have somebody else to go to. This is a situation where, in my opinion, um, people are her- or not in my opinion. I-, I-, I think the evidence shows people are hurting their kids, but you have no backstop. There's nobody who's going to back you up. so you really are left with only your powers of persuasion, which, as Danny is pointing out, that Nicole pointed out, don't don't work very well. So the only place in this question that I think it's likely to have any possibility of effectiveness is I do think when th- people are posting things on social media, if you can politely, not for the benefit of that person, but for the benefit of other people who are reading it, if you want to keep some things at hand that you can post that provide some science um, <clears throat> to counter whatever it is that's in the in the misinformation that's being spread, for the benefit of third parties who maybe read it and think, hmm, well, gee, I wonder if that's true. Maybe you can help head it off at the pass with them. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very unfortunate because I think it goes under the category of withholding medical treatment. I think yeah. it's, it, it's a similar analysis, and we just we are not at the point where withholding medical treatment in the form of um, uh you know illness prevention um which would be a very tricky area but mm-hmm. in this case we're just not at the point where you can really do anything except
0: ask yeah yeah and and you know find out if there are like you know uh organizations in your area that you can get involved in that like help get the information out about where to get vaccinations like something that you can also like put energy and time towards that will have an effect so that you can just kind of feel like the net result of my caring about this issue is is doing something um and then in the meantime i would check in with that family member who who has the autoimmune disorder and just say is there anything you need from me um can i run any interference for you um how you doing so that they know that that you're in their corner. I think that that's true. And I think with the social media thing, you'll maybe be able to do that once or twice before you get, like, deleted. But I think uh, it's, uh, again, worth trying. And I think framing in terms of, like, you can do that sort of, like, fake chipper, like, oh, actually, good news on that subject. I just saw that they Uh completed, like, a long, wide-ranging study that demonstrates that they're actually super safe. Isn't that great? I'm like, big
1: into that on Twitter. That's my tone on Twitter most totally, of the time. Totally, totally. And people.
0: again, like, but just so it's, it's not framed as confrontational. Mm-hmm, right. It's like, isn't this cool? Um, and then, you know, as that kid gets older, check in. And if yeah. they ever would like to be driven to a doctor mm-hmm. and getting vaccinations without telling their parents, which is like a whole thing that the teens are doing now, um, that's how teens rebel now, uh, is getting <laughs> getting that sweet, sweet medical treatment, which... You know, when you like compare it, sorry, just like when you think about the kind of like moral panic of like the teens trying to transition, let's keep that away from them versus like some parents want their kids to maybe get measles. Let's let them do it. It's just like we're having the wrong moral panic. Yeah, I Um, agree. I agree. So yeah, I I think those are the best options, unfortunately. And then again, like hope for the best. Hope there is not a measles outbreak.
1: Mm -hmm. That sucks. It does suck. It does suck. It's very sad to me. Did you see the story about that kid who had tetanus? I sure did. Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Totally unnecessary suffering. It's Yeah.
0: It's really sad and awful. And that was our last question.
1: <laughs> Speaking of unnecessary suffering. So there
0: is a clock on stage, but I have not been able to see what time it is at all.
1: No, I it's think we are. Dim. I think we're out of. Yeah, we are out of time. We are time time free. So here's what I'm taking away. Tell me rely heavily on your friends Mm -hmm. because you picked them and they picked you Mm -hmm. get a therapist Mm -hmm. because it's often a good idea and take good and excellent care of yourself and don't be afraid to have awkward moments with people
0: i love all that and i would just add to that to the end if you're thinking about transition you know (laughs) um thank you all so much for coming Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton and live production is by Faith Smith and Kirsten Holtz. Special thanks to The Hamilton in Washington, D.C. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327 and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening.
1: And
0: on today's Plus segment...
1: And that's the kind of response where sometimes they'll decide they don't like you. Sometimes they'll decide, like, she seems like kind of a bitch. But, like, most of these people you don't know, clearly you're not close to them or you'd feel more comfortable saying to them, I don't want to do this. So clearly these aren't people that you're close to. If they're not people that you're close to, then if they think you're a bitch, it really doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod. This is the story of the one.